1: Pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins, I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Sharks supporter, so we're gonna do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing, and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. everyone,
0: welcome to this week's Doc and the Guru podcast. I'm flying solo. I'm back now from my trip to London and Europe. Uh, and thanks to Gordon for holding the fort down. I had a very good trip, a mixture of some family time, as well as uh, meeting and chatting with some very interesting people, both in Lisbon and London, on global reinvention. So that's for a few episodes down the road. So, uh, but keeping it in the international theme, it's a, a great pleasure for me to welcome somebody from Amsterdam today. Uh, from Canton we've had quite a few guests On from Cantor. Ironically, Ivan Moroke, the CEO of South Africa Cantor, was our very first guest, and in fact, we invited Ivan back for our 100th episode, so um, we certainly have got a little bit of history with Cantor. but today it's uh, Shobana Ramachandran from uh, Amsterdam, Kantar. Shobana, thanks very much for, for joining us.
3: Thank you. Thanks so much, uh, Doug, for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, and it is great. You know, we're gonna chat about about Cantor, we're gonna chat yeah. insights, we're gonna chat brand growth, all the rest of it. But um so before mm-hmm. that, you know, I look at, at at your job. You're the global client director for Cantor, working out of out of Holland, out of the Netherlands. Can you please just tell our listeners a little bit about what your job entails and, and how that fits into the greater Cantor?
3: Yeah, of course. Um so Well, if your listeners are somewhat familiar with Kantar, or even if not, uh, what we are, uh, we have the most complete and rounded understanding of how people think, feel, and act. And we have this understanding globally and locally in about 90 markets. Um, And our mission and our purpose is really to help clients drive growth for their brands and businesses. Now, within Kantar, um, it is a very client-focused organization. Uh, but we have relationships, uh, global relationships, for about 30 of our largest clients. Now, they involve the world's biggest brands, which are leaders in industries such as technology, automotive, CPG, fashion and beauty, media. So in my role as a global client director, what I do really is to lead the global Cantor relationship for one of our key alcohol clients. Now... As I said, we have about 30 of these global client relationships and how it really fits in with the rest of the Cantar business. So our top 30 clients work with us across geographies, across expertise areas within Cantar as well. So they are really strategic partnerships with a lot of investment on both sides. Uh, They're quite mutually beneficial because uh, these clients want to have leading edge capabilities and uh, data-led marketing strategies and building new capabilities. Um, And that's something that, of course, all of our clients want. Everybody wants agility, speed, and insights delivered in a way that can impact real-time decisions. Um, So what we know is that if we get this right for our largest clients, it will in turn benefit all of our clients, and that 's really the context and how it fits in with the overall Cantar organization
0: yeah, thanks very much and i mean it 's it's, it's so interesting what you 're saying, and obviously, in preparation for this podcast, you know I spent quite a bit of time on the Cantor mm-hmm. site going through the stuff, looking at your client i mean it 's all the blue chip and the who's who 's uh, who and as you say, okay. you know certainly those global insights that can trickle down. Uh, and and give very valuable lessons not just to peer groupings but also to smaller medium sized clients etc. And especially today and again, um, it's one of those very obvious points in today's increasing volatility. I mean, we've just come out of the pandemic, you know, straight into a war, rising inflation, costs across the world, energy crisis. It just goes on and on and on. And I suppose you know, and as as you were chatting, I was making the notes of agility, speed, yeah. and real time decision making. You know, it's no use having the data. And the insights, yeah. but you don't do anything with it. So again, exactly. it's a call to action uh, on, on that side.
3: Yeah.
0: But looking at, at two aspects that we want to chat about, um, really, and as you said, the, the go-in position as the world's le- leading data insights and consulting company is to understand people, relationships, clients, consumers. So in other words, deep insights, into branded mm-hmm. business growth. So let's just start with the first one, if we may, um, around insights and, and in terms yep. of you and your team, your experience working with, uh, and currently with major clients around using deep insights to make more informed business decisions.
3: Yeah. Um, So one of the things we do, in fact, for uh, the alcohol clients uh, that we work with, that me and my team work with, one of the key things we do is understanding the health and the equity of their brands across 70-odd markets. Now, there are typically, within any business, there are two ways to look at brand growth. You would look at it either in terms of the commercials, the financials, so turnover, volume, and value. And then the other way that you would look at it is in terms of understanding what and how people think about brands and how that's changing over time. Um, and both are equally important because driving one naturally drives the other. So if you have a strong perception with people, you have strong equity, it's going to lead to financial growth uh, longer term. And we know we know a lot about that. So really our work is to kind of help identify for our client which brands are growing, which are in decline, which are at risk, what are the strengths and opportunities and weaknesses that need to be prioritized to either leverage growth or to mitigate risks. Um, And what really happens is these insights then become the building blocks that feed into our clients' activation plans, so commercial activation plans, which in turn converts um, into actions and therefore turnover growth eventually.
0: As you say, the two are linked. And I guess, you know, just just chatting, listening to you now mm. about the alcohol sector. Um, I mean, I suppose one of the biggest changes of late in terms of consumer behavior is the rise and continued rise of non-alcoholic drinks in that sector. Yep. Would, I, would I be right
3: in saying that? Absolutely. Um, I think the last three years have had such a seismic effect in people looking at their own choices, wanting to live more healthily, mm. uh, more sustainable lifestyles, mm. um, the pattern of consumption changing. Mm. Uh, for two years, we had to do with bars and pubs being in lockdown. Yeah. Uh, and all of that has created such a fantastic change in how we are looking at our own behaviors, as mm. well as how we are consuming alcohol and other uh, beverage categories. There's an mm. increasing trend towards health. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those behaviors, which we know from our global barometer study, a lot of those behaviors are in many ways here to stay. So some of those healthier behaviors that people took, they want to now um, uh, continue with. And in that space, the rise of non-alcoholic beverages has been Again, phenomenal. Mm. Um, and I expect that we'll continue to see so much of that because the category is not just beer wine spirits the way it used to be about 10 years ago. You now have hard seltzers. You have energy drinks. You have mm. malts. You have, yeah, you have flavored beers. You have RTD cocktails. Yeah. The uh, plethora of choices is enormous.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I remember a few years back, I was on a trip to Heineken head office, ironically, in Amsterdam. Uh and they just introduced Heineken Zero at that stage and, and I was doing a bit of a trip. Um and in chatting with some of the advocates from Heineken who were themselves a little bit like not a hundred percent sure, being, you know, very seasoned beer makers or, or, or employees of Heineken about how this new thing was going to take off and whether it should even be called beer, you know, so it's just quite interesting. Yeah. So I'd be very interested to revisit that example because certainly and not just, and I'm not just punting Heineken. I mean, there are many brands around the world, uh, that we know of that have produced and continue to produce not only low alcohol, but zero alcohol beverages. Yeah. So it's interesting to see that. And that wasn't such a, and that was about I don't know, seven, eight years ago, maybe, uh, around that time. So not a long time, but certainly an interesting time, as you say.
3: Indeed. Um, And there are so many launches that keep happening. Uh, You just have to look at Beverage Daily to get a whole list of them. So, indeed. Yeah. So
0: moving on to the second part, and you were saying the one leads to the other from an insight into a brand growth and however one measures that equity commercially or otherwise. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the insights from Kantar. Uh In mm-hmm. growing brands uh I know there's so much work and again to our listeners, you know if you haven't had the chance, please go onto to cantor's site um and if you're anything like me you'll get in start reading one thing, see a click click on that, get into that that's interesting click click, click, click back, and so you'll find <laughs> yourself and I really did, and I really found yep. myself reading uh such interesting articles around really good work. And applicable work. So let's just chat a little bit about the insights and work currently from Cantor mm-hmm. around brand growth.
3: Yeah. So um, I think one of the one of the most extensive, uh, widespread pieces of insight that Cantor release every year is what we call our brand Z Top 100 rankings. So I think I'll touch a little bit on the methodology and results, which I think will uh, your listeners will find interesting as well. Uh, so Brand Z is a ranking of brands based on brand value. Um, Cantor's Brand Z is unique in that it is the only ranking of brands in the world that actually connects both the financial value of brands as well as consumer attitudes to those brands. So if we think about what I said earlier, which is both sides are important, it's a brand value ranking that marries the two. It's the largest brand building platform uh, in the world, covering, uh, well, the statistics are amazing, but it does cover 51 markets, 4.1 million consumer interviews, more than 500 categories, and more than 19,000 brands in there. Um, and that's just, that's just for starters. Uh, for your listeners in South Africa, we just recently, in August, released the edition of the top 30 brands in uh, South Africa. Um, and that was that straight hot off the press. So your um, your listeners should definitely go in and check it out. And we do these in some of the other markets as well. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about what we've learned about strong brands um, across the years from Brand Z. So it's now in its 16th year. Um, and what we've seen is that the Brand Z portfolio of top 100 brands consistently outperforms other benchmark indices like the S&P 500 or the MSCI index. Um, And we've seen this consistently happen year after year for uh, the 16 years that Bransy has been around for. Um, And that in turn gives us a lot of understanding on what it is that brands need to have in order to drive growth. So what have we learned? Um, We've learned that Strong brands, of course, generate superior shareholder returns. They are more resilient in times of crisis and they recover faster. And we've seen that both through the financial crisis between 2008 and 2011, as well as the recently, not so long ago, past um, COVID situation. Um, and at the heart of Brand Z lies a simple framework for how strong brands or what we call powerful brands are built. Uh, strong brands are meaningful, different, and salient. Um, And just to unpack what those mean, so meaningful is really about having a connection with consumers, meeting emotional and functional needs. Difference, which we've seen growing in importance, is about having something that's unique to you or um, actually seen as a brand that sets trends within the category. So you can be seen as leading the way. And salience is really about, when you think about the category, does it come to mind quickly relative to competitors? And it's these three things that we see when strong brands do very well compared to the others. Um, And brands that deliver these three things are much likely to grow at a faster rate. Um, We've also looked at sort of, you know, considering the time of the past three years, when we've had a period of crisis, Have there been brands that have been winners, that have been able to accelerate despite the kind of headwinds? And we've seen that indeed there are what we call breakthrough brands. Um, And these are the fastest risers in brand Z or newcomers to the list. They are not just, as one might assume, the Amazons of the world. They are everyday brands like Tesco's, like Lululemon, like Airbnb that we come across every every day. You know, KFC is in, in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we see about them is that it's difference that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. And it's breakthrough brands have this high level of difference that is able to supercharge their growth two and a half times higher than those of competitors or those of brands that actually lack difference. So that's just a bit of a teaser. There's plenty more good stuff on that website that you'll point your listeners to, but I would encourage you to go have a look.
0: You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. Thanks. I mean, absolutely. I mean, there is so much data and detail. And I mean, you. You work. You're immersed in the business. You understand it. So I could only scratch the surface. But as I say, certainly even in scratching the surface, uh, and as a yep. you know a, a, an avid reader of of brands and and, and brand history and brand equity, I find it immensely interesting. And as you say, the the challenge that I guess in in challenging times is to continue building the brand and not just trying to make up the performance-based marketing or sales-based marketing of the past. And I see, you know, that's the, and again, I guess, like yourself, I've read so many articles about that tightrope and tension between immediate sales uh, and making up the Mm -hmm. lost revenue versus the investment uh, for the future. And and, and it's that, I guess, that trade-off. And as you say, top brands are disciplined enough to invest and grow for the future and hence you know uh, all the points you make in terms of salience difference uh, and then share on the returns.
3: Yeah absolutely um, I mean even in the past with the crisis we've seen some if you will over swinging towards more short-term insights mm. but the short-term kind of ROI metrics that are important but then um as, uh, as um, insights experts, it is our job to kind of bring people back, marketers back to uh, the underlying trends and the long term performance, which we know is as important in the boardroom as the other financial metrics, because there's that underlying trend you need to keep an eye on. Um, You know, the other big thing that everybody talks about nowadays is sustainability and purpose. Now, purpose, of course, is nothing new, but uh, making sure that brands and businesses have a point of view on the world and everything that's happening and are being seen as leaders for change uh, has become increasingly salient. Um, And one of the things we see from our just released, if you will, sustainability sector index, it's literally hot off the press, is the increasing value action gap. So another fact is 97% of consumers will say that they want to live sustainably regardless of the financial impact that it has on them. However, only 13% will actually take actions mm. and we see that, um, um, uh, that, that are commensurate with their values. So that massive value action gap has a real implication for how marketers build their long-term strategy as well. Uh, So it's not just about the short-term, but also about the longer-term metrics that you need to keep an eye on.
0: Absolutely. And I think just chatting, you know, sustainability. I mean, one of the biggest stories of late, and and probably will continue for some while, is the Patagonia, you know, uh, a massive story coming out of the United States globally uh, around real sustainability and the purpose of purpose is purpose, as opposed to the old mantra of, uh, you know, the purpose of business is business. So, again, yep. so that's, you know, Patagonia and its leadership putting its money where its mouth is. But as you say, you know, you want consumers then who feel one thing to act in a congruent manner. And, and uh, so that's, that's interesting. And, and hopefully over time, that gap will close and people will act out what they feel to be congruent with their values.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and you also have to think about, and again, the Sustainability Sector Report, uh, Sector Index Report highlights some of this, which is there's also sometimes a price barrier. Yeah, and you yeah. have to put it in the context of the inflationary times that we live in with energy prices going through the roof, yeah. uh, at least in most parts of Europe, um, that, uh, yeah, to what extent are people going to be able to afford it and that's really where coming back to that point of meaningful indifference you have to make it worth people's um, extra spend if you will
0: absolutely and again you know you're 100% right I mean you've got to be practical about these things in terms of rising costs and and, and so on, and meeting the values uh, with the practicality of being able to afford something that may or may not be priced at a slight premium, and, uh, and are you, and can you, uh, although you're prepared to, can I afford to pay that that price premium, so yeah, you know very interesting, very interesting discussion, and again, of course the co- the converse of that is the whole greenwashing notion, and we 've seen it yep. so often and again, yesterday or the day before I saw another article come across my feed about um, you know certain brands that have been called out for overt yep. greenwashing or what they probably didn 't think was greenwashing, and their their intentions may have been good, but seen. Yep. By the public to be very, very different, you know, uh, and and I guess one's also got to be cautious in terms of, you know, how you approach these things with good intent, uh, and good intent needs to be matched with good action, and and hopefully that action translates into the consumer seeing it the same way as as you did, often in the laboratory of of a marketing environment, if you like, you know, whereas we know that marketing happens in the real world, it doesn't always happen at the the corporate head office.
3: No. And I think you quote, you know, Mark Ritson is just recently, I think it, I read that in an article where um, you know, people have very small mind space, really, for brands. People mm-hmm. don't think about brands half as much as we would like for them to. So you've got to make it easy for them to make those connections and to really um, choose your brand over and over again. And that comes through a plethora of factors, such as, as you said, authenticity, walking the talk, putting your money where your mouth is um, in delivering on your promise.
0: Absolutely. And I guess, you know, you all think, and I guess we all think that our brand is the most special and that everyone wakes up thinking about it. But the reality of the situation, of course, is it's, you know, it's not that precious and one's got to make it. More pressure through a meaningful difference and real value add. we're sure, moving yeah. on, and as part of that interesting uh, exercise mm-hmm. of mind on your webpage, one of the articles I came across, and there were many, uh, is one from one of your colleagues in London, Dr. Nikki yes. Morley, and she writes about uh, innovation strategy and how that impacts brand growth, specifically about different innovation in today's turbulent, volatile. Uh, and agile time. So I don't know if you'd like to maybe just chat about one or two things that we can dial mm-hmm. on, on that paper. And again, you know, as I say, a very, very interesting take on on um, innovation linked to, to brands.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Nikki, Nikki is the head of our behavioral sciences uh, stream within uh, within the business. And the article that you read is part of a four-part series of articles that we're doing on innovation. Um, And I think there was just another latest one released yesterday, and it talks really about why innovation is so important for brand growth in these kind of, uh, you know, uncertain changing times, uh, whatever the latest acronym for that, whether it's VUCA or BANI might be. Um, And it talks to really going back to the best practice principles of what we know about being about brand growth. So we know that being meaningfully different is key to drive brand growth. But where innovation plays a role is really as the key to unlock that point of difference. And just looking at history and facts kind of really bears that out because history teaches us that innovators win. Um, After the great recession of 2008 um, uh, to 2011, winning brands launched 60% more significant innovations than competitors. And what we also see from brand Z is that brands that are perceived high on innovation grow seven times faster than competitors. And that's huge in terms of what innovation can do in order to drive your brand growth. Now, that's one part of it. The other big takeout from the article is around the theme of disruption um, who would have thought that uh, a category like all-purpose flour which has been the same for I don't know how many years would be disrupted now by every imaginable type of flour from tapioca to almond to gluten-free to soy to corn to everything mm-hmm. um, and I think there is a big take out there around disruption can impact can and does impact any and all brands and categories, and no brand is undisruptible. Um, And equally then, that is an opportunity. So there is an imperative if you're then a specialist and innovator um, or a marketer to approach innovation and the cycle of innovation differently. We can't do things the same way that we've always done them. Um, and I hope that it will drive uh, success. So we've got to go back to a couple of key things when we think about innovation. So we know that building a strong brand starts with a meaningfully different product or service, and that holds as much for innovations. They need to be built from strong foundations. Um, Too often, an innovation is a flavor or a fragrance extension, which will likely cannibalize the rest of your portfolio. Uh, So you've got to have the right human insight, which touches a core consumer need and make sure that it is in a position to add incrementality to your portfolio. So that's one. The next one is really about keeping your brand and business in mind. It's got to fit. Um, One of the things, and I think it quotes the head of uh, Diageo in that article where he talks to the fact that every time we look at the innovation, uh, we think about, is this going to add to the brand or is it significantly meaningfully different enough that it will change strategy? But that meaningful difference is critical and what it adds to my brand and business is also critical. And then the last way in which we should be doing things differently is learn, test, and learn. Really adopting agile ways of testing, um, feeding that back into the product evolution cycle and continuing that. So the right insight will make sure that you have a smoother journey through the build phase of the innovation. But I think there's a point here around Don't lose sight of measurement through the build phase because it's not that once you've launched into the market, the job is done. That's when it's actually starting because you've got to take learnings for once it happens in market and really be agile about being able to feed that back into your business so that really the innovation is leveraged to the fullest extent possible for growth.
0: Wonderful, and I think, you know, that's absolutely, uh, you know, what you're saying is is, is absolutely what some leading brands are adopting, that whole notion of true agility, Uh, and although they thought they perhaps had agile practices a while back, I think it's speeding up now, and I think a lot of leading brands are becoming even more agile, and it's that mindset into the action set, uh, back into the mindset, the circular notion, uh, and then getting out a product that, or a service for that matter, that is hopefully better and more in tune. Shobana, as we, and and I mean, geez, the time is flying. As we're moving towards the end, and it's been such a fascinating chat, I really would have loved to have gone on for much longer. Let's just talk a little bit about your experience and one or two lessons, perhaps for younger listeners out there. You know, we always ask our guests to share Mm -hmm. one or two things that they do the same or differently, uh, anything from either your life lessons or then your professional career.
3: Um. Well, when I think back on it, I'd say there's probably two. One, it is your career. Be in the driver's seat. Um, And I think the second one would be, don't be afraid to take risks.
0: Thanks, yeah, yeah and, and again, you know, I think we, and, and that's wonderful advice, take the driver's seat, put your hands on the wheel, and and take, and especially, and I, I don't want this to come across wrong from an ageism point of view, but I, especially earlier on in your career, try and take those risks earlier because you perhaps yeah. have a longer runway to correct, and it's much the agile mindset we've spoken about, whether it's a product or service, you yourself as a product or service, have the agile agility in your mindset to look differently to your parents and grandparents. Because, you know, I look back at, at my career, and I'm sure you do, and, and a lot of people do, it's going to change for, for the next generation. It's going to be faster, perhaps bit. more volatile, yeah. more changes. So don't necessarily go in with a stable mindset of saying nothing is forever. You know, so uh, it's interesting how you say, you know, take take risks, not crazy unnecessary risks, but risks nonetheless.
3: Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I always like to think about it as building your own personal brand. So if you think about what drives strong brands, it's the power of being meaningful, different and salient. And when you're thinking about yourself in relation to your career, I'd say, you know, how do those, those things wrap, stack up for you? How can you make yourself meaningful? How can you make yourself different? How can you make sure that you have that salience, uh, whatever your chosen field of or craft might be? So it's very similar to managing your brand.
0: That's exactly correct, ja. Um, Shobana, thanks very much. As we move right towards the end now, if someone wants to get hold of you, what is the best way? Are you on social media? How do people interact with you?
3: Yeah, so anyone wants to get in touch with me, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Or uh, send me, yeah, just connect with me and send me an email or send me a message on LinkedIn as well as email. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, So any one of those channels is all good. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. And again, to our listeners, you know, we've all, Gordon and I say it week in and week out. It's not just about a a good half an hour, 35 minutes of chat, which today certainly is, and, and we could go on much longer. It's about you taking the conversation further with our guests. You know, here's an invite to connect uh, to find out more, to read about Kento, yeah. uh, and, and, and to chat, you know, as somebody you were saying earlier, you know, you, you love to, to pay it forward, to, to give back, uh, so, and not just for younger listeners, and I stress that point, for yeah. anybody, connect up, find out, you know, you can always learn and, and improve as we go along. Indeed. So yes. thanks again for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, you know, And, and thanks for those, those very valuable insights.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, and thank you again to your listeners. Um, if you have any questions at all, just drop me a line. I'd be really happy to connect and pay it forward in whatever way I can. Thank you. Thank you so much, Doug.
0: Excellent. Thanks. And again, to our listeners, that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Uh, a, a wonderful one on Cantor, an international flavor, but obviously with brands in South Africa, if you want to look at that, go onto their site, download it, uh, and and understand I look at those results. MTN was first, FNB and, and and Vodacom as the top three, but, I mean, read it. Very interesting new additions, uh, and some brands that fell out, so the lessons are both sides, the ones that are accelerating and the ones that fell out. So, again, to our listeners from my side, Dr. Doug, I will catch you next week.
2: And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get hold of us on Facebook. Like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mateus. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show.
1: Thanks, Doc, and it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media, and I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word, this is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo, and we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the
0: media industry.